So we're in our series called Words from the Mountain, and each week we've been looking at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mountain. And what we're doing is we're journeying around this mountain, and we're coming to different sections. In each section, we find Jesus giving us a new teaching on the ways we ought to live. And the section of the mountain that we have journeyed to recently is this section about having an authentic faith. And specifically, we have arrived at this section in having an authentic, authentic faith where Jesus teaches us what it means to pray and to pray in such a way that is authentic and real. And as he teaches us how we should pray, you could say that these are Jesus' words that are summing up in a very clear way all that he proclaims in all that he teaches. So these words are incredibly important. And, we're gonna, and what we're doing is we're looking at what's called the Lord's Prayer, and we're looking at it line by line, little bit by little bit as we go. And so let me just read to you. This is the whole Lord's Prayer, and, and our focus is going to be on this phrase, hallowed be your name. So pray then like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now what we're doing is we're putting together a working definition of what prayer is. And each week it's becoming clearer and more refined and more complete. And the definition this week is that we are coming to God like He's our Father in heaven and asking Him to glorify His own name. It's, uh, it's working under this premise, this idea that there is nothing more that you need in your life right now in this moment than to see the glory of God. It's what your kids need most out of anything. It's what your friends need most. It's what your neighbors need most. More than anything, the glory of God needs to be seen. And the question is, how do I get that from this phrase, hallowed be thy name? Well, the word hallowed means to make holy. Now, another way, another word, the closest word that makes sense to us is to glorify. And so this word hallowed, it's a passive verb. And whenever it's talking about God, here's what it means. We are passive in the activity and God is active, which means that God is the one who is glorifying his own name. He's the one that's making it be seen as holy, as set apart above every other name. Now, this is confusing for a few reasons, because first, God is already holy. He can't make himself more holy, and he can't, he just simply is holy. So why is it asking for, uh, why are we being told to pray that God would make his name more holy? Well, here's what it's like. It's like taking someone's hand and putting it in water to show them that it's wet. The water's already wet, but you're putting your hand, their hand in the water so that they will realize that, what, that water is wet. It's the same way where it's a prayer that you are asking that God would show the world who he really is. 
And he's worthy, and his name is above absolutely every other name. And that's what this prayer is about. And again, this word is most closely related to the word glorify. So it's a prayer that's saying to the world, to God, show the world how amazing you are, how great you are, glorify your name. Now here's the second confusing part. While we can't add to God's glory because he's just already amazing, we can defile his name. We can make it seem that when people think of God, because of the way we've lived our lives, actually, they don't see him as he really is. And so what this prayer is doing is it's, it's a pleading with God that he would fix all that humanity has done to his name. And so we're asking God, God, fix what we have done. Glorify your name because we have ruined it in this world. It's to pray this also. God, help us live in such a way where the curtain is pulled back so the world sees your glory. Remember last week we talked about the world is a theater of God's glory. And our job is to simply pull the curtain back so the world can see the glory of God and see how great he is. And we talked about how last week is our tendency is to pull the curtain back and to say, look at me world, look how amazing I am. And we seek to build our own kingdom. And what we, when we do that, we begin to defile the name of God. And so the world is meant to be a theater of God's glory. Now, why? Why is it so important that the world be a theater of God's glory? Well, he was the one that ordered the cosmos. There is no one like him. His wisdom and his power caused him to make things as mysterious as black holes and as beautiful as sunsets, and as majestic as lions, and as dangerous as a mama bear, as, as colorful as a peacock, as cute as a koala bear, and as friendly as a dog. He taught the bird how to fly, he taught the fish to swim, and he taught the turtle to leave where it was hatched, to go off on some epic adventure and return back to the very same spot it was born to have babies of its own. And it's not just that. It's not just his acts, but who he is. He is holy. So to be holy does not mean that he is good. It means that he is the very definition of what goodness is. It doesn't mean that he's just. It means he's the very definition of justice. It doesn't mean that he is beautiful. It means that he is the very definition of beauty. He's the definition of grace, the definition of mercy, the definition of everything that we long for and is good. It is all pointing to him. And to take something else to try to define justice by, or beauty by, or grace by, and not putting him at the top of the list has defiled the name of God because he is the ultimate version of all of these things. And somehow, he loves the whole world, but he loves each and every one of us in such a way that we feel like he loves us as if we're the only ones here. And then in Ecclesiastes 3.11... It says God has put eternity in our hearts such a way that we can't understand the beginning and we can't understand the end. So he's put a sense of wonder in us so that when we look up at the stars, we can't help but think of him and say, there must be someone who has created this. There must be a God who has done this. And he's put a hole in our souls that is meant to only be filled by him. And until he 
has filled that place in our soul, we have a deep sense of longing, and that deep sense of longing has been put there, so we will return back to him one day. We've only discovered a portion. The greatness of God, his beauty, and his wisdom and we've only begun to understand the anatomy of our own souls. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three through 36, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him? And through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. To pray, hallowed be thy name, is to pray that the world would realize how amazing he is. And bow. Glory means weightiness. And to say that he is glorified above every name is to come to the realization that you can take all the weight of the ocean and all the waters and throw the weight down upon him and he will remain unmoved by it. Yet at the same time, when he hears his children call his name, he comes running for them. It's to understand that sin is destroyed in the presence of God, yet when his children sin, he takes on sin himself on the cross and is destroyed under the weight of it all so that he could free us from it. to understand that death, though it is our great enemy, he entered into it to destroy it so that he could free us from it. We have a wonderful God, and to pray, hallowed be thy name, is to pray that the world would know it. So then the question becomes, well, if God is so great, then why do we have to even pray this prayer? Why doesn't the world see this? Well, I'm going to start unpacking some of the things I said. First, because we have defiled his name. And so this prayer is a prayer that God would undo what we have done. So in Ezekiel 36, we see this perfectly displayed. Basically what happens is God's people are shedding blood, they're killing people, and they're, they're worshiping false gods, they're worshiping idols. And so then here's what happens. The wrath of God comes down upon them, and God scatters them out of the lands that they are in. And they're scattered to all these other lands. And then the people of these other lands are looking and saying, well, their God must not be so great because he can't even come to their aid. And then God will have none of that. And so God's people don't even cry out to him, but he rescues them anyways for the sake of his own name and his own glory in all the earth. Now, is God such a megalomaniac that he has to keep his name so holy and glorified? I mean, why does God have to be so obsessed with himself? And he has to have people know how great he is. Here's what you got to understand. The thing that you need most in your life right now is to be awakened to the glory of God. The thing that your kids need most, the things that everybody else around you needs most is to be awakened to the glory of God. Why? So that you will return back to him. Or so you will discover him for the first time. And so for God to be passionate about his glory is for God to be passionate about you. God is obsessed with his glory because he's obsessed with you and he knows the only thing that's going to get you to go back to him is for you to see his glory. And that's what this prayer is all about. God is obsessed with his glory because he's obsessed with you. Now, 
but God has been defiled in your eyes. He has. And here's how I know that. Because when you hear the name of God, it should bring immense joy to your life. It should bring peace. It should bring comfort. It should make you want to dance. It should make you want to worship him and bow down. But that doesn't happen because in your heart and in your mind, the name of God has been defiled. You've got a view of him that is not actually true to who he is. So we have these thoughts in our mind. I mean, this is, what's, this is what our problem is. We have this defiled version of God in our minds, and we're not responding the correct way. When we hear of him or when we read his word, we're not responding the correct way because we have a defiled version of him. And so here's what we think of. We have these, we have these thoughts. You remember prayers that you have prayed to God, and he didn't answer them the way that you wanted to. And so you begin to shake your fist at the name of God. He's been defiled in your eyes. We have these experiences with people where they've hurt us. They are people who are Christians, and they've hurt us. They've done something wrong to us. And we project what people have done to us upon God. And so his name gets defiled in our heart. So the challenge of this prayer, hallowed be your name, is a challenge even to yourself that you would actually see God clearly as he is, even though all these things that aren't making sense to you in your life, that they would kind of get parted and you would be able to see God as he truly is and then respond in the right way. But what we're doing is we're holding the sins that others have committed against us up at God. And so it taints our view of him. So here is the question. So we have this tainted view of God. We have this profane view. We have this defiled view of God. What's your responsibility in that? What is your responsibility in those thoughts that you have of God and those feelings that you have of God? I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people and they have written God off because maybe they had a very over-controlling parent who taught them that Christianity was about following rules and if you don't follow the rules, then God isn't going to love you. And, and they, they messed up their kids from it. It happens all the time. Or someone had a bad experience in a church Talk to people, this happens all the time. And so they've projected their experiences in the church from sinful humanity, and they've projected them up upon God. Or you're seeing people suffer. You're seeing things happen in the world, and you say, man, if God really is good, then how is this happening? Either there's no God or he isn't good because I can't believe what's before me and God is allowing this to happen. And what you're doing is you're taking what the Bible calls is a cursed world, a world that has fallen, a world that's messed up, a world that has run God out, and you're taking this world and you're projecting the things that you are seeing in this world upon God. Don't ever do that because you're missing who he is and then by missing who he is you're missing his glory and then by missing his glory it means you're not going to go to him and by not going to him you're missing out on the greatest thing that's ever happened to you Jesus Christ so it's like this you're looking at god the same way someone would look at the picture of an ocean drawn by a child you don't get to see it for what it really is 
This prayer is the same as you walking. The prayer is like an ask. Let me understand the ocean, God, like I'm walking into it and like I'm feeling the sand in my toes and I'm, I'm, I'm breathing in the salty air and I'm feeling the cool breeze in the mist of the water come upon me. It's to say, God, glorify your name so I could experience you like that. Like you're here with me. See, our problem is we can't get a good experience of God. We can't get a good picture of God when we look at him through the lens of people who have fallen from his image. People who've run from him. The reality is even our attempts to describe God, our attempts to describe God fall far short unless we're doing it within Scripture. And so outside of Scripture, there's all these attempts to describe God and they're all defiling His name. We have to say, okay, what does Scripture say about God and who He is? And then we say, okay, that's what Scripture says. That's how I need to start viewing God. It's a new lens. So here's what you need more than anything, is you need God to act in your heart so that the word of God becomes alive in you, so it cuts you like a double-edged sword in a good way, like a physician who is healing you. You need the word of God to awaken you to who he is. Otherwise, you miss him. You have a wrong picture of who he is. You're not seeing him clearly. And so because of that, you have a defiled version of him in your mind, in your heart, and in your soul, and it's ruining your life more than you realize. This prayer is you pleading with God for him to show you who he really is. And that his word would do its work in you. See, we have this picture of God and we're missing the vision of who he is, who he really is. And so what we need is scripture to be our new lenses through which we see the world. We need a new pair of glasses. And scripture is those glasses through which we are meant to see God and the world around us. And anything else is going to fall far, far short of bringing us to understand who he really is. So to pray that God would glorify his name is a pleading with God that he would show you him, show you his glory. And guess what happens when you see his glory? Because you know what our culture is so obsessed with right now? Culture growth. We just got to grow. Come on. We got to grow. I just want to become who I'm supposed to be. Who is it? Well, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. Scripture gives you a very clear picture of it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of God, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, more and more into who we're made to be. So do you want to know what's going to help you grow more than anything else? It's not a self-help book. It's not a strategy. It's not a new way of thinking. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not any of this stuff. It's beholding the glory of God. And as soon as you behold his glory, here's what happens. You take another step forward into becoming who you're made to be. And his glory is the one that's doing it. Nothing else. You can modify your behavior all day, but there's something more important. There's your soul and there's your heart and there's what's going on inside of you and God wants that. He wants your entire being. He just doesn't want to modify your behavior. It's boring to him. And so then what happens? Well, you go up to the mountain and you meet with God and you see his glory and your face begins to shine and you come down the mountain and guess what now? The glory of God is shining on your face and your kids see that. 
Your friends see that. And what do they need more than anything else? To see the glory of God. So now you have become a conduit through which the world can see his glory. Because he answered your prayer. Glorify your name. Show me who you are. And so now the world begins to change around you because they're beholding the glory of God. And you're pointing them to the one who's doing it. So you become an agent, a conduit, a child of God who is bringing God's glory to the earth and changing all the people around you. See, you want to be a better parent, and you read parenting books, and you should. That's good. But what your kids need most from you is for you to behold the glory of God so you can show them who he really is. Because if you're not beholding the glory of God, then you have a defiled version of him, and you can't show him who he really is. Philosophers want to change the world. Everybody wants to change the world. So here's how you change the world. Or the psychologists say, here's how you change the world. The sociologists say, here's how you change the world. The politicians say, here's how you change the world. And Jesus says, you want to know how to change the world? Pray this prayer with me. Hallowed be your name. Glorify your name, God. The greatest problem our world will have and always will have is that we're not seeing his glory. So, what will bring his glory? Him. He'll do it. We're praying the prayer. God, show us your glory. So how does he show us his glory? Well, look at the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, let me just say it this way. I'm not an old man, but I've been in ministry for a few years, and something that I've noticed is that the thing that really changes people is when they get a picture of God as both the Holy One and their loving Father at the same time. At the same time, beholding the glory of God by seeing the holiness of God and His fatherly love. Right at the same time. And it's as if this is what happens. So you take two hands, okay? Two hands. Holiness, love of God, And as the two hands are lifted up, a painting is stretched across the two. And it's a painting of the glory of God. It's a sheet that's held up where someone can actually see the glory of God. His fatherly love in one hand, his holiness in the other. And I've seen it time after time. It's not about Jesus being a good teacher that changes you. And it's not about him being a judge that's watching you so you better be good. It's not about trying harder. It's when you look at the holiness of God and his fatherly love and hold them in tension that you get to see the painting and then you see the painting and you are changed. So, some of you have a defiled version of God in one of these ways. So some of you are seeing God as holy. You're seeing him as the holy judge. And you're thinking to yourself, there is no way he's going to love me. There's no way he's going to accept me. I have done all of this in my life. I'm thinking about my past sins. I can't get over them. I'm thinking about I can't be perfect. So what's he going to do to me? Well, his wrath is going to come down upon me because look at the way that I'm living my life. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And you go to church and you can't seem to shake it and you can't seem to see his glory. So that's some of you. The others of you, God is like a grandpa that never says no to you and gives you everything that you want all the time. And so, of course, he's going to forgive you. That's just what he does. So if you've done something wrong, well, he'll just forgive me with no cost at all. Is that true? 
If heaven is heaven, and it must be a place where everything is perfect, nothing has been tainted, then how will God let us in without heaven being tainted? He can't. So we have this tension, we have this conflict, we have this, what are we going to do? But, but, but watch, you hold both of them up. And then something happens. You see his glory. What's the picture? What is the painting of? When the holiness of God and his love is held up, what's the painting that you see? Do you know what it is? It's the cross. The cross is the only way that God can be both loving and holy at the same exact time. There is no other way. It's the solution to the grand problem. So, the two ends are pulled out, and you see both. Now, here's how it goes down. The holiness of God causes him to see your sin, and his wrath is coming for your sin. It's not good news. It's bad news. But then his love says, I must make a way. And so the solution The solution is him going to the cross, taking all the wrath for all of our sins and letting the holiness of God be thrown down upon his one and only son so justice can be satisfied and we could be freely forgiven of all of our sins and it's the love of God that drove him there. And those two things held attention give you the picture of the glory of God. Those are the things, that's the thing that makes you realize who God really is. Each sound of the nail being driven through his wrist and into the wood is the sound of holiness, his holy justice and his holy love colliding into an explosion of his glory. Every cry of Christ on the cross is the sound of what happens when the holiness of God and the love of God meet. And every piercing blow is a movement of God's love and holiness coming, executing, being lifted up high, where then you see what God is willing to do because he loves you that much. And if now... Here's how to know if you've seen the glory of God just now. Either you're moved to tears or you're fighting it back. Or you feel a weightiness that's been lifted and you feel free. And you know that God loves you and he's never going to stop. Because everything that was required of you, Christ did on the cross. And every sin that needed punished has been wiped away. And if if you've missed it, if you've just missed his glory, if it's just passed you by and, you, and it slipped through your hands, do you know what you need to do right now? You need to pray that prayer. God, hallowed be your name. I missed it, God. Show me your glory. Every day, this should be our prayer. Every single day. God, I'm missing it right now. I need to see your glory. Show it to me. That's our prayer. And that's how to pray. 
It's the beginning of the way that Jesus says to pray. So, let's do that now. God, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss who you are. We don't want to see your glory pass us by. But we want to see the beauty of what's been done on the cross for us. Where your holy justice and your holy love collide and meet. Meet. 